Hello, dinguses. This is <laughs> Infinite Cast. Um, Molly is showing me memes from the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission page. Uh, I'm looking good. at a picture of um, it's it's two dragons squaring off, and there appears to be a man riding an ATV between them. Uh, and the text says, "Ted enters a dark cavern. Through the pitch black, he sees the dim glow of two, nay, four eyes." He is glad he wore the proper gear, gloves, <laughs> boots, long pants, long sleeves, goggles, and a helmet, plus 1,000 XP, Ted. So I guess this is uh, wear goggles and a helmet when you ATV. Yeah, work, workplace uh, uh, safety apparel. Yes. Uh, thank you, U.S. Consumer Product Safety uh, Commission. I assume that you are something that we only have because of Ralph Nader. Uh, standing for safety since 1972. Does that timing work out? Yeah, probably. Yeah, that, w- that would I assume it's the same fuckers that got us those stupid seatbelts. Yes, that yes, make exactly. it riding in a car so, so much less cool. And, yeah, and confined. You're not, yeah, taking your life. Well, yeah, you, I guess you are taking your life into your own hands every time you drive a car. Anyway, um, hi, hey. welcome to the uh, the Infinite Jest podcast. Yeah. Uh, your your literary and consumer product safety <laughs> review podcast. In a sense, one might say, yes. you know, we we remember that guy. We of course remember the man who um was doing like construction and he got launched through like up. Uh, oh yeah, that's consumer that's product consumer safety. Product well, that's safety. more uh, workplace product safety. Yeah. But did they say workplace in the title? Uh yeah, uh, consumer product safety commission. Okay. But that that includes you know it says recalls, safety alerts, and data. Okay. that's what they they cover at least on their Twitter account. Uh, that's Shout more out. of a workplace safety issue. Do you ever remember, do you ever take science class in high school? I did take science class in high school. I think everyone's pretty much required to, unless you go to some weird school. Yeah. You remember the eyewash station? Oh, yeah. And the like little shower for like if you get real, real burnt? Yes. All I remember when we got the tour of the lab in high school. The forbidden water fountain. All I, th- <laughs> all I thought was, dear God, mm-hmm. I don't want any, I'm going to do science so good and safe because it would be mortifying mortifying if i had to like get dumped on <laughs> in, the in the middle shower? of the ca- in a chemical shower in the middle of class with everyone watching me i would literally you might as well honestly just let the <laughs> acid eat through me <laughs> yeah don't just get any me. lie on you <laughs> yeah good news is i mean i was not good at science but i was safe i was also not good at science chemistry specifically i found very difficult yeah physics very much confused me when well, the forces started coming out of the page at you when they did ro- you know that thing with rotational motion where yeah. the 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 direction of the motion is up through the axle if yeah. the wheel is spinning. Yeah, not a, not a fan, not for me. Do not get that. Yeah, don't explain things to me. <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's what I hate about physics. It explains things that I don't care about that don't need explaining. Uh, yeah, to do you me. Think, do you think uh, what is gravity? I don't know. <laughs> who gives a those. shit? Who gives who gives a shit? <laughs> I'm here on the ground, aren't I? Uh, do you think physics teachers across the nation have been? getting accused of mansplaining to uh, students. <laughs> recently. teachers have been accused of mansplaining? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, don't mansplain uh, uh, the a separate piece to me, Mr. Um, wood, Woodchip. Wood, wood <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're literally doing violence to me by uh, mansplaining uh, this book. What I'm is this book about? It's, it's whatever I want it to be. be and my opinions, my thoughts are valid. Um, pitch. Public school, public high school, autodidact high school, eight <laughs> study halls a day. <laughs> Go at your own pace, learn whatever you want. Just make yeah. sure you're reading books, writing, or calculating something. Yes. But well, you, whatever you're, tra- what you're trying is, to get good at. Yeah. All right, it's called we- the School of Hard Knocks. Look it up. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Should we start reading today? This yeah, is a, this is a, a little longer a long than intro. we typically bullshit before we Sorry. start, but whatever. You're getting some of our uh, our lovely bants to to start the segment. Yeah, yeah. All right, here we go. Back to Don, my favorite. Part of Don Gately's live-in staff job is that he hurdles here and there on selected Ennett House errands. He cooks the communal supper on weekdays, which takes us to EndNote 188. I hope this is a menu. The budget doesn't allow for communal suppers on weekends, and the weekly menu has below uh, satyr and sund, the word forage, which with a certain percentage of this falls residence ends up being literal. <laughs> Uh, back to the text, which means he does the house's weekly shopping, which means that at least a couple times a week he gets to take Pat Montesian's black 1964 Ford Aventura and drive to the Purity Supreme Market. The Aventura is an antique variant of the Mustang, the sort of car you usually only see waxed and static in car shows with somebody in a bikini pointing at it. Pat's is functional and mint reconditioned. Her shadowy husband, with something like 10 years sober, being big into cars, which is such a wicked, nice, multi-layer paint job. This is the first time I think we've seen wicked, wicked. used as an adjective, which, of course, is Boston uh, vernacular. He's, he's kept that one in the holster for 500 pages. It's such a wicked, nice, multi-layer paint job that it's black. <laughs> it's black, has the bottomless quality of water at night. It has two different alarm systems and a red metal bar you're supposed to lock across the steering wheel when you get out. The engine sounds more like a jet engine than a piston engine. Plus, there's a scoop poking periscopically from the hood. And for Gately, the vehicle's so terrifically tight and sleek, it's like being strapped into a missile and launched at the site of a domestic errand. <laughs> he can barely fit in the driver's seat. The steering wheel is about the size of an old video game, uh, video arcade game steering wheel. And the thin, canted six-speed shift is encased in a red leather baglet that smells strongly of leather. <laughs> the height of the car's roof compromises Gately's driving posture. And his right hand, like, exceeds the seat and squeezes against the gear shift so that, pinching, uh, so that shifting pinches his hip. He does not care. Some of the profoundest spiritual feelings of his sobriety so far are for this car. <laughs> he'd drive this car if the driver's seat was just a sharp pointy spike he told Je Jeanette Foltz Jeanette Foltz is the other live-in staffer though uh, between ultra rabid commitment activity in NA and a somehow damaged NA fiance she spends a lot of time pushing around places in a wicker wheelchair she's around Ennett House less and less now and there are rumblings about a possible replacement which Gately and the heterosexual male residents pray daily will be the leggy alumna and part-time counselor Danielle Steenbach who's rumored to also attend Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, which engages everyone's imagination to the max. Mm. It's a mark of serious regard and questionable judgment that director Pat M. lets Don Gately drive her priceless Aventura, even just to like the Metro Food Bank or Purity Supreme, because Gately lost his license more or less permanently back in the year of the Whisper Quiet Maytag Dishmaster for getting pinched on a DUI in Peabody, which uh, apparently uh, my, my friend Gabe told me that I pronounced Peabody wrong, but then I didn't ask him how to pronounce it right. Is it like Peabody? Peabody? I don't know. Peabody? We'll find out. Someone will correct me. Uh, on a license that had already been suspended for a previous DUI in Lowell. This was not the only loss Don Gately incurred as his chemical careers moved toward their life-reversing climax. Once every couple of months now, still he has to put on his brown dress slacks and slightly irregular green sport coat from Brighton Budget Large and Tall Menswear and take the commuter rail up to selected district court venues on the North Shore and meet with his various PDs and POs and caseworkers and sometimes appear briefly up in front of judges and review boards to review the progress of his sobriety and reparations. When he first came to Ennett House last year, Gately had bad check and forgery issues. He had a malicious destruction of property issue, plus do D&Ds and a bullshit public urination out of Tewksbury. 
He had a break and enter from a silent alarm Peabody, Peabody, Peabody. <laughs> mansion where he and a colleague got pinched before anything could get promoted. He had a possession with intent from 38 50 milligram tablets of Demerol, which takes us to end note 189. Expanding where appropriate on note 12, Demerol is uh, meperidine hydrochloride, a Schedule C2 synthetic narcotic available from Sanofi Winthrop Laboratories in banana-flavored syrup, 25, 50, 75, and 100 milligram to mo- slash milliliter cartridge needle units, and most popular with DWG, the 50 and 100 milligram tablets known up on the shore as Pebbles and Bam Bam, respectively. <laughs> D&D, of course, means drunk and disorderly, and PD and PO, respectively, mean public defender and probation officer or proby, by the way. Back to the text. Uh, tablets of Demerol in a Pez container, which he'd shoved down into the crack of the Peabody Finest's cruiser's back seat, but which got found anywhere in the routine post-transport cruiser search all cops perform when the arrestee's pupils are unresponsive both to light and to head slaps. <laughs> there was, too, a, of course, a darker, a certain darker issue vis-a-vis a certain upscale Brookline home whose late owner had been eulogized at terrifying length and headline size in both the Globe and Herald. After eight months of indescribable psychic cringing, waiting for the legal footwear to drop on the NUC VIP issue, toward the end of his drug use, Gately would gotten sloppy and crazy and stuck idiotically with a method of straight meter shunting that he'd learned up at MCI Balerica and was pretty sure now constituted a signature Gately MO since the older guy that taught it to him in the Balerica metal shop had subsequently got out and gone to Utah and died of a morphine overdose. And like who on earth hopes to get reliable morphine in fucking Utah over two years ago, after eight months of cringing and nail biting the last couple months of the torment in Ennett House, even though the house's uh, DSAS license put it legally off limits to all constabulary without Pat Montesian's physical presence and notarized permission, after he was down to the cuticles on all ten digits, Gately had very discreetly approached a certain Perkadan-devoted court stenographer an old girlfriend had once dealt to and had the guy make equally discreet inquiries and found that the potential murder to investigation of the botch burglary, which takes us to endnote 190, uh, if somebody dies during the commission of a felony, even from so much as a defective pacemaker or a lightning bolt, the felons facing murder to an unbargainable time at least in Massachusetts, a ghastly statutory provision as far as most active drug addicts are concerned, since even though they're not violence-oriented, efficiency and safety consciousness are not exactly hallmarks of addiction-motivated crimes, which tend to be impulsive and fuzzily thought out at best. He needs to he needs worker safety <laughs> uh, when he's doing his... He just needs uh, to hold himself to higher standards. It's hard to do when you're, when yes. you're all fuzzed yep. out. Uh, back uh, investigation of the botched burglary had been taken over at Pache, the loud howls of a certain remorseless, revere ADA. We remember that guy. Mm-hmm. Just a toothbrush he shoved up his ass. Mm-hmm. Uh, by something federal, the adult stenographer called Nonspecific Services Bureau. Whereupon mm. the case vanished from any sort of investigative scene the stenographer could make inquiries about. The quiet rumor had it that current suspicious suspicions were being directed at certain shadowy knucko political bodies all the way up in Quebec far north of the Enfield, Massachusetts, where Gailey had been cringing his way to nightly AA meetings with his fingers in his mouth. <laughs> have we <laughs> had we heard previously that the murder was like wrapped up in um, the Quebecois po- politics? They had, they had, it was, it is known at this point that um, the guy that they killed, who's um, not, not Marath, um, it's that steeply in Marath, Yes, Guillaume, um, Guy, Guy, Guy. Guy. Uh, 
shit, <laughs> it's escaping right now, but a guy who was in some sort of, he's not in the Assassin de Fauteuil alone. But, but it's been in. referenced by, the offhandedly, the murder, Gately's murder has been offhandedly referenced in the context of like Morath and those people yes. before this. Yes, exactly. It, okay. it is known. Yes. And so now at this point, rather than being a Boston case, it's gone into the, you know, yeah, OSS. Yes. Yeah. Okay, great. Trying to keep track of all this stuff yeah, because yeah. honestly, the last time we heard about this murder might have been like, uh, I don't know, January sure, of, of this year. Yeah. <laughs> um, most of the cases Gately had had pending his PD had gotten closed without finding, which takes us to note 191. <laughs> Also known as a case being blue filed, meaning put in a kind of judicial limbo for a specified period and uh, reopenable. What's up? I'm, I'm just. Okay, you're just adjusting. Yeah, yeah. And reopenable, red filed at any time POs and boards decide the defendant isn't making satisfactory progress. Back to the text. Close without finding contingent on Gately's entering long term treatment and maintaining chem chemical abstinence submitting to random urinalyses and making bi-weekly reparation payments out of the pathetic paychecks he's earned cleaning shit and sperm under Stavros Lobaculus, <laughs> and now also cooking and live-in staffing at Ennett House. The only issue not resolved on a blue file deferral was the business of driving with a DOI suspended license. In the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, this issue carries a mandatory 90-day bit, as in, like, the penalties written right into the statute. And the case's PD has been upfront with Gately about it's only a matter of time uh, a matter of the time of the wheels slow judicial grind before some judge red files the issue and the case and Gately has to do the bit at some place MCI minimum like Concord or Deer Island. Gately isn't too hinked about doing 90 inside. At 24, he'd done 17 months at Bellerica for assaulting two bouncers in a nightclub. It was more like he'd beaten the second bouncer bloody with the unconscious body of the first. <laughs> like the, you get these details that it's like, re it's like pro wrestling level yes. like capability of this guy. It was more like, oh wait, sorry. And he knew quite well he could get by in a Commonwealth lockdown. He was too big to fuck or fuck with and not interested in fucking with anyone else. He did his time stand up and gave nobody any provoking cause. When the first couple hard guys had come after him for his canteen cigarettes, he'd laughed it off with ferocious jolliness. And when they came back a second time, Gately beat them half to death in the corridor behind the weight room where he could be sure plenty of other people guys or plenty of other guys could hear it. And after that one incident was out of the way, he could simply get by and not get fucked with. Gately now was hinked only about the prospect of getting just one or two AA meetings a week in jail. The only meetings sober inmates get are when an area group comes in on an institutional commitment, which Gately's been on, when Demerol and Talwin and good old weed are almost easier to get in jail than in the outside world. Gately cringed now only at the thought of the sergeant at arms, the distinguished looking shepherd guy. Going back to ingesting substances had become his biggest fear. Even Gately can tell. This is a major psychic turnaround. He tells the newer residents right up front that AA has somehow gotten him by the mental curlies. He'll now go to literally any lengths to stay clean. He'll tell them right out that he'd first come to Ennett House only to keep out of jail and hadn't had much interest or hope about actually staying clean for any length of time. And he'd been up front with Pat Montesian about this during his application interview. The grim honesty about his disinterest and hopelessness was one reason Pat even let such a clearly bad news specimen into the, into the house on nothing but a lukewarm referral from a PO up at the 5th District office in Peabody. Pat told Gately that grim honesty and hopelessness were the only things you need to start recovering from substance addiction, but that without these qualities, you were totally up the creek. Desperation helped also, she said. 
Gately scratched at her dog's stomach and said he wasn't sure if he was desperate about anything except wanting to somehow stop getting in trouble for things he usually afterwards couldn't even remember he did them. The dog trembled and shuddered and his eyes rolled up as Gately, who hadn't been told about Pat's thing about wanting her dogs petted, rubbed its scabby stomach. (laughs) Pat had said, like, well, that was enough. The desire for the shitstorm to end. Which takes us to note 192. She didn't literally say shitstorm. Gately seems like he would be an incredible advocate for uh, a like you meet like the you meet this guy yeah. and he tell, tells you about this thing and you're like damn damn it works and also I'm this afraid. guy did not seem <laughs> yeah also I'm afraid of him uh so maybe I should just do what he says. <laughs> Gately said her dog sure did like having its stomach rubbed and Pat explained that the dog was epileptic. <laughs> And said that just a desire to stop blacking out was more than enough to start with. She pulled some Commonwealth substance abuse study in a black plastic binder off a long black plastic bookshelf filled with black plastic binders. (laughs) It turned out Pat Montesian liked the color black a lot. She was dressed, really kind of overdressed for a halfway house, in black leather pants and a black shirt of silk or something silky. Outside the bay window, a green line train was laboring up the first Enfield Hill in the late summer rain. The downhill view from the bay window over Pat's black lacquer or enamelish desk was like the only spectacular thing about Ennett House, which was otherwise a wicked awful dump. Pat made a sound against the binder with a svelte nail extension and said that and said that in this state study right here, conducted in the year of the Tux medicated pad, over sixty percent of the inmates serving life sentences in hellish MCA MCI Walpole and not disputing that they'd done what they'd done to get in there, nevertheless had no memory of having done it whatever got in there, for life. None. Gately had to have her run it by him a couple times before he isolated her point. They'd been in blackouts. Pat said a blackout was where you continued to function, sometimes disastrously, but weren't aware later of what you did. It's like your mind wasn't in possession of your body, and it was usually brought on by alcohol, but could also be brought on by chronic use of other substances, synthetic narcotics among them. (laughs) Gately said he couldn't ever recall having a real blackout, and Pat M. got it, but didn't laugh. (laughs) the dog was heaving and quivering with its legs spronged out to all points of the compass and kind of spasming and Gately didn't know whether to quit rubbing on it to be honest he didn't know what epilepsy was but suspected Pat was not referring to the woman's leg shaver thing his totally alcoholic past girlfriend Pamela Hoffman Jeep used to scream in the bathroom when she used (laughs) everything mental for Gately was kind of befogged and prone to misprision 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 for well into his first year clean Pat Montesian was both pretty and not. She was in maybe her late 30s. She'd supposedly been this young and pretty and wealthy socialite out on the Cape until her husband had divorced her for being a nearly full-blown alcoholic, which seemed like abandonment and didn't approve her subsequent drinking one jot. She'd been in and out of rehabs and halfway houses in her 20s, but then it wasn't until she'd almost died from a stroke during the DTs 1 a.m. that she'd been able to surrender and come in with the requisite hopeless desperation, etc., Gately didn't wince when he heard about Pat's stroke because his mom hadn't had DTs or a classic stroke, but rather a cirrhotic hemorrhage that made her choke and deprived her brain of oxygen and had irreparably vegetabilized her brain. The two cases were like totally apart in his mind. Pat M. was never in any way a mother figure for Gately. Pat liked to smile and say when residents pissed and moaned about their own addictions losses during the weekly house community meeting, she'd nod and smile and say that for her, the stroke had been far and away the best thing that's ever happened to her because it enabled her to finally surrender. 
She'd come to Ennett House in an electric wheelchair at 32 and been unable to communicate except via like Morse code blinks or something for the first six months. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, which takes us to Ennett 193. Gately didn't get any of this from Pat Montesian. It's mostly like Ennett House mythology with some hard facts from Gene M. and Calvin Thrust, both of whom think Pat M. just about hung the moon. <laughs> um, back to the text uh, but had even without the use of her arms demonstrated a willingness to try and eat a rock when the founding guy who didn't even use his first name told her to using her torso and neck to like chop downwardly at the rock and rock and chipping both incisors you can still see the caps at the corners and had gotten sober and remarried a different and older South Shore like trillionaire with what sounded like psychotic kids and but regained an unexpected amount of function and had been working at the house ever since. The right side of her face was still pulled way over in this sort of rictus, and her speech took Gately some getting used to. It sounded like she was still loaded all the time, a kind of over-enunciated slurring. The half of her face that wasn't ricticized was very pretty, and she had very pr uh, long, pretty red hair and a sexually credible body. Even sexually though, credible? <laughs> even though her right arm had atrophied into a kind of semi-claw, which takes us to end note 194. Sick. I'm going to be thinking about the phrase sexually credible for a long time. Uh, a totally different thing than Volkman's contracture, CF Note 115, which I was believing was referring to Mario's body. Okay. Back to the text. A lot of seizures in this book. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of seizures. Um, a kind of semi-claw, and the right hand was strapped into this black plastic brace to keep its nail extension fingers from curling into her palm. And Pat walked with a dignified but god-awful lurch, dragging a terribly thin right leg in black leather pants behind her like something hanging onto her that she was trying to get away from. <laughs> He's just so good at these like grotesque like visions yeah. where it's like she's both like very attractive and then has some serious like physical problems. Yeah. During his sexually credible. Sexually credible. <laughs> During his residency, she'd gone personally with Gately on most of his bigger court dates, driving up him up to the North Shore in the Killer Aventura with its handicap plates. She, because of the neurological right leg thing, literally had a lead foot and drove all the time like a maniac, and Gately had usually almost wet himself on Route 1. And she'd throw all Ennett House's substantial respect and clout behind him with judges and boards until every issue that could be resolved without finding was blue-filed. He at least still couldn't figure out why all the personal extra attention and help. It was like he'd been Pat M's biggest favorite amongst the residents last year. She did have favorites and non-favorites. It was probably unavoidable. Annie Parrott and the counselors and house manager always had their particular favorites too, so it all tended to work out square. About four months into his Ennett House residency, the agonizing desire to ingest synthetic narcotics had been mysteriously, magically removed from Don Gately, just like the house staff and the crocodiles at the White Flag Group had said it would if he pounded out the nightly meetings and stayed minimally open and willing to persistently ask some extremely vague higher power to remove it, the desire. They said to get creakily down on his mammoth knees in the AM every day and ask God as he understood him to remove the agonizing desire and to hit the old knees again at night before a sack and thank the goddish figure for the substanceless day just ended if he got through it. They suggested he keep his shoes and keys under the bed to help him remember to get on his knees. The only times Gately had ever been on his knees before were to throw up or mate or shunt a low-on-the-wall <laughs> alarm, or if somebody got lucky during a beef and landed one near Gately's groin. <laughs> he, 
He didn't have any God or JC background, and the knee stuff seemed like the limpest kind of dickless pap, and he felt like a true hypocrite just going through the knee motions that he went through faithfully every a.m. and p.m. without fail, motivated by a desire to get loaded so horrible that he often found himself humbly praying for his head to just finally explode already and get it <laughs> over with. <laughs> <laughs> Pat had said it didn't matter at this point what he thought or believed or even said. All that matters was what he did. If he did the right things and kept doing them for long enough, what Gately thought and believed would magically change, even what he said. She'd seen it happen again and again, and to some awfully unlikely candidates for change, she said it had happened to her. The left side of her face was very alive and kind. And Gately's counselor, an ex-coke and phone bunko guy whose left ear had been one of his losses, had hit Gately early on with the infamous Boston AA cake analogy. The grizzled Filipino had met with a resident Don G once a week, driving Gately around Brighton Alston in aimless circles in a customized Subaru 4x4, just like the ones Gately used to hotwire and promote for use of burgling. (laughs) Eugenio Martinez had this eccentric thing where he maintained he could only be in touch with his own higher power when he was driving. Down near EWD's barge docks off the Alston Spur one night, he invited Gately to think of Boston AA as a box of Betty Crocker cake mix. Gately had smacked himself in the forehead at yet another limp, oblique Gene M analogy, which Gene had already uh, bludgeoned him with several insectile tropes for thinking about the disease. He's the one who calls it the spider. The counselor had let him vent spleen for a while, smoking as he crawled along behind land barges lined up to unload. He told Gately to just imagine for a second that he's holding a box of Betty Crocker cake mix, which represented Boston AA. The box came with directions on the side any eight-year-old could read. Gately said he was waiting for the mention of some kind of damn insect inside the cake cake mix. (laughs) Gene M said all Gately had to do was, for fuck's sake, give himself a break and relax and for once shut up and just follow the instructions on the side of the fucking box. It didn't matter one fuckola whether Gately, like, (laughs) believed a cake would result or whether he understood the, like, fucking baking chemistry of how a cake would result if he just followed the motherfucking directions and had sense enough to get help from slightly more experienced bakers to keep from (laughs) fucking the directions up if he got confused somehow. But basically the point was if he just followed the childish directions, a cake would result. He'd have his cake. The only thing Gately knew about cake was that the frosting was the best part. (laughs) He's right. <laughs> he pers- he's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> we will we'll talk about this later. Well, you'll eat the frosting and I'll eat the cake. Plus, you- he always just dist- oh god. Plus, he'd always distrusted both Orientals and Spicks, and Gene M managed to seem like both. <laughs> oh god, Jesus Christ! Uh, pl- but he didn't screw out of the house or quite do anything they could discharge him for, and he went to meetings nightly and told the more or less truth. And he did the shoe under bed knee thing every a.m. slash p.m. twenty four seven. And he took the suggestion to join a group and get rapidly active and clean up ashtrays and go out speaking on commitments. He had nothing in the way of a like God concept. And at that point, maybe even less than nothing in terms of interest in the whole thing. He treated prayer like setting an oven temp according to a box's direction. Thinking of it as talking to the ceiling was somehow preferable to imagine talking to nothing. And he found it embarrassing to get down on his knees in his underwear. And like the other guys in the room, he always pretended his sneakers were like way under the bed and he had to stay down there a while to find them and get them out when he prayed. But he did it and beseeched the ceiling and thanked the ceiling. And after maybe five months, Gately was riding the greenie at 4.0430 to go clean human turds out of the shattuck shower. (laughs) And all of a sudden realized that quite a few days had gone by since he'd even thought about Demerol or Talwin or even weed. Not just merely getting through those last few days, substances has, hadn't even occurred to him, i.e. the desire and compulsion had been removed. 
Four weeks went by, a blur of commitments and meetings and Gasper smoke and cliches. He still didn't feel anything like his old need to get high. I he, just remembered Ken Erdaddy. Ken Erdaddy. And, and uh, remembering the very beginning of this thing being like, okay, so this is one of the main characters of this book. <laughs> <laughs> no. <being> like, nope. <laughs> we ba- I, I, we're barely going to see him again. Uh, it was the first time he'd been out of this kind of mental cage since he was maybe 10. He couldn't believe it. He wasn't grateful so much as kind of suspicious about it, the <laughs> removal. How could some kind of higher power he didn't even believe in magically let him out of the cage when Gately had been a total hypocrite and even asking something he didn't believe in to let him out of a cage he had like zero hope of ever being let out of? He's coming out of the cage and he's feeling he's just feeling fine. Just, he's feeling confused. When he could only get himself on his knees for the prayers in the first place by pretending to look for his shoes, he couldn't for the goddamn life of him understand how this thing worked, this thing that was working. It drove him bats. At about seven months, at the little Sunday beginners meeting, he actually cracked one of the Providence fake wood tabletops, beating his big square head against it. Which takes us to EndNote 195, which he had to make a fucking financial amend to have fixed, which lucky, uh, luckily semi-crocodile Sven R. was a refinisher and voluntarily fixed the crack with some weird fake wood resin, so Gately only had to pay for the tube of fake wood resin instead of a whole new institutional table. Sorry, That's very funny. Um, white flagger ferocious Francis Cahini one of the most ancient and gnarled of the crocodiles had a white crew cup and scally cap and suspenders over the flannel shirt that encased his gut and an enormous cucumber shaped red schnoz you could actually see whole arteries in the skin of and brown stumpy teeth and emphysema and a portable little oxygen tank thing whose blue tube was held under the schnoz with white tape and the very clear, bright eye whites that went along with the extremely low resting pulse rate of a guy with geologic amounts of sober AA time. Ferocious Francis G., whose mouth was never without a toothpick, and who had on his right forearm a faded martini glass and naked lady tattoo of Korean War vintage, who'd gotten sober under the Iniction administration, and who communicated in the obscene but antiquated, uh, antiquated epigrams the Crocs all used. Which takes us to EndNote 196. E.G., Kid, sobriety's like a hard-on. The minute you get it, you want to fuck with it. <laughs> They'd rattle this kind of stuff off. They had a million of them. <laughs> Takes us back to the text. Uh, FF had taken Gately out for eye-rattling amounts of coffee after the incident with the table and the head. He had listened with a slight boredom of detached identification to Gately's complaint that there was no way something he didn't understand enough to even start to believe in was seriously going to be interested in helping save his ass, even if he slash she slash it did in some way exist. Or in some sense exist. Gailey still doesn't know why it helped, but somehow it helped when Ferocious Francis suggested that uh, maybe anything minor league enough for Don Gately to understand probably wasn't going to be major league enough to save Gately's addled ass from the well-dressed sergeant at arms now, was it? That was months ago. That's a good point. Yep. Uh, That was months ago. Gately usually no longer much cares whether he understands or not. He does the knee and ceiling thing twice a day. See, see, that's why... Like Catholic or Jewish God makes so much more sense than Protestant God because if you conceive of the idea of something like God, mm. the idea that it would be like personally friends with you or like care about you, yeah, or like want to have any involvement in your life, yeah, is patently ridiculous and the most egotistical thing I could imagine. So it you is, just have to like mm. if if you are into the whole God thing, the whole God trip. I think there's only one way that to conceive of it. It is like a, a vast, unknowable, unpersonal God yeah. that uh, works throughout the entire universe and has zero interest in yeah. whatever your bullshit is. Yeah. A, a cold, impersonal God. Yeah. Um, but Jesus is your friend. 
<laughs> Jesus is Je- my bestie. God. Jesus is my oomph. Jesus is one of my oomphs. He's an oomphie. <laughs> um, Je- God, God doesn't know my name, but Jesus comes to my birthday party. Yeah, Je- Jesus Jesus loves me. Um, boo-boo. He does the knee and ceiling thing twice a day, cleans shit, and listens to dreams, and stays active, and tells the truth to the Ennett House residents, and tries to help a couple of them if they approach him wanting help. And when Ferocious Francis G., the white flaggers presented him on the September Sunday that marked his first year sober with a faultlessly baked and heavily frosted one candle cake. Don Gately had cried in front of non-relatives for the first time in his life. He now denies that he actually did cry, saying something about candle fumes in his eye. But he did. <laughs> Gately is an unlikely choice for Ennett House chef. Having fed... This, is one, my, we were talking about him this is one of my favorite sections of the entire book, or pages in the entire book. Gately is an unlikely choice for Ennett House chef. Having fed... <laughs> For most of the last 12 years on sub shop subs and corporate snack foods consumed amid some sort of motion. He is 188 centimeters and 128 kilograms and had never once eaten broccoli or a pear until last year. <laughs> shout wise, out to all the pear. Yeah, shout out, shout out to all the pear. Chef wise, he offers up an exceptional, exceptionalist routine of boiled hot dogs, <laughs> dense, damp meatloaf with little pieces of American cheese and half a box of cornflakes on top for texture. Cream of chicken soup over spirochete-shaped noodles, <laughs> ominously dark, leathery, shake-and-bake chicken legs, <laughs> queasily underdone hamburgs, and hamb- uh, hamburg soft spaghetti, whose pasta he boils for almost an hour. What? <laughs> <laughs> Which takes us to note 197, never having, never yet having checked the side of a box of pasta for possible directions. <laughs> Back to the text. Um, none but the most street-hardened Edent residents would ever hazard an open crack about the food, which appears nightly at the long dinner table still in the broad steaming pans it was cooked in, with Gately's big face hovering lunarly above it, flushed and beaded <laughs> under the floppy chef's hat Annie Parrot had gotten him as a dark joke he hadn't got, his eyes full of anxiety and hopes for everyone's full enjoyment, basically looking like a nervous bride serving her first <laughs> conjugal dish, except this bride's hands are the same size as the house his dinner plates and have jailhouse tats on them and this bride seems to need no oven mitts as he sets down <laughs> massive pans on the towels that have to be laid down to keep the plastic tabletop from searing <laughs> any sort of culinary comments are always extremely oblique randy lens up at the northeast sure is food <laughs> <laughs> randy lens up at the northeast corner likes to raise his can of tonic and say that don's food is the kind of food that helps you really appreciate whatever you're drinking along with it Jeffrey Day talks about what a refreshing change it is to leave a dinner table not feeling bloated. Wade McDade, a young hardcore flask alky from Ashland, Kentucky, and Dooney Glenn, who's still woozy and infirm from some horrendous workers' comp scam gone awry last year. Is that the... That might be the thing. Maybe. Dooney Glenn. And is constantly sickly and is probably going to get discharged soon for losing his menial job at Brighton Fence and Wire and not even pretending to look for another one. The two have this bit they do on Spaghetti Night where McDade comes into the living room right before Chow and goes, some of that extra fine spaghetti tonight, Doonster. And Dooney Glenn goes, ooh, will it be all lovely and soft? And McDade <laughs> goes, leave your teeth at home, boy, in the voice of a Kentucky sheriff, leading Glenn to the table by the hand as if Glenn were a damaged child. They take care to do the bit while Gately's still in the kitchen, tossing salad and worrying about course presentation. The tiny you will never fails to thank Gately for the meal, and April Cortellu is lavish in her praises, and Bert F. Smith always rolls his eyes with pleasure and makes yummy noises whenever he can get a fork to his mouth. There we go. That's the section? Yep. <laughs> um, 
I'm trying to think about eating pasta that <laughs> has been, been boiled. I, I don't think I've ever eaten pasta that's boiled for longer. I mean, it would just be longer. like goo, right? Yeah, it's basically... <laughs> it would just turn into like starch water. Like grits or something, yeah. Yeah, a, a very a very starchy, <laughs> thick water. I, I want to like boil a thing of pasta for an hour just to see what it turns into. Yeah, we should do it as an experiment. Um, I mean, here's the thing. Cream of chicken soup over noodles sounds kind of yummy. Yeah, no, that's a classic, that's a classic like a mid-century casserole. American ca- uh, casserole type dish. Well, was, I gotta say, inventing the cream of line of soups really changed culinary. Um, uh, they culinary sl- Campbell world. snapped with that one. Campbell's did not have to go that hard, but they did, did not have to snap that hard. But they did. Wait, what? You've heard of mushroom? Hold on to your fucking hats. <laughs> you tear off the next slide, and it just says "cream of" over it. <laughs> Introducing. <laughs> hey, have you ever had mushrooms and thought? Damn, I would like to have a cream that tastes of mushroom. <laughs> now, you've had cream and you've had mushrooms. Now, stay with me. <laughs> Wonder if you could make this cream mushroom flavored. Oh, man. We had a, a decent... It was, a, it was a gifted to me. A, a keto... A, I believe... Wait, was it keto? Yes. It was a keto soup uh, pre-packaged. And yes. it, was, it was basically cream of mushroom. Um, and it was really good. Yes. Keto mushroom soup, soup broth. Ke- yeah. I don't know. Um, I am imagining that the uh, the the film translation of that as being one long sequence that is just a slow, loving pan over the disgusting food, uh, like down the institutional table mm-hmm. as all the ended people yeah. come and sit down around it. Yeah. That ends with Don Gately's like beaming, uh, nervous smile at the at the end of the the table yeah and then you intercut that with like all these like little conversations and like him praying day after day yeah. and like talking to the the old timer with the oxygen tube and smashing his head on the table and yeah. stuff but it's all framed by just panning down the the table the over the very food. soft spaghetti <laughs> you ever have we had we had shake and bake um chicken when we were kids it was, it was honestly d- delish did you ever get your hamburger helped you know, I actually asked my family this, and I realized that I don't think we did hamburger helper when I was a kid. I didn't. Th- I didn't either. I think I had a. Um, I projected that we had it because we definitely had lot. We had instant, <laughs> we had instant mashed potatoes, man. Ugh, those are not good. The, I did not. Yeah. I did not like those, and so for years I was like, "Well, I don't. I don't, I like, don't mashed like mashed potatoes." potatoes. Oh, mashed potatoes. And then so I good. had like some good real mashed potatoes, and I'm like shit. <laughs> not a lot of. I mean, I like this chapter a lot. I like. Gately a lot just because he's an interesting guy (laughs) but you know not a lot of new info here I guess we get a little about like what's going on with his uh his his, the crime that he did the bad thing that he did yeah um also just all the all the crimes you know what I mean yeah um it is great like it's so funny to I I love that juxtaposition is that now he's this kind of like tender guy who's like you know make fussing over food for his things and he also beat a bouncer nearly to death with, with another the guy body of another bouncer <laughs> like it just suggests yeah. just this mess that he used to be in where like even his presence is just like a big guy like i bet he's a, a lot guy. of it he's a big guy like i'm sure a lot of people just like started shit with him yes and also sorry man it's fucking boston it's boston it's just boston energy of just like constantly low-key starting a fight yes Forget it, Don. It's Boston. Forget it, Don. It's Boston. Um, I guess the, uh, you know, I've been finding the AA stuff very interesting through this. It's, it's. I mean, 
it feels stupid to say about this book that it's quote starting to get repetitive. Yeah. But you know, it feels like it feels like we're, we're we're going into this stuff again and again, especially after that long AA segment that we just came out of mm-hmm. to go back in and hear more. But the stuff about it working, even if you don't b- truly believe in it and how like, you know, we, we've had all these conversations that it's, it's really like a process thing and that thinking of it as like a, a goal objective uh, ruins it mm-hmm. and all the stuff where you basically you have you basically have to get addicted to being sober. Yes. Um, but I think the thing that I was thinking of and I was going back through some of our emails that we've gotten and. Forgive me if you have emailed us about the show, theinfinitecastpod at gmail.com. And mm. I haven't responded, but I have read all the emails. Mm-hmm. Um, we've gotten a few emails from people who have been through AA themselves and have do have that perspective and very explicitly have written it being like, yeah, it's a lot of it is stupid as hell, but mm-hmm. it, you know, it works and you kind of have to give yourself into the stupidness of it. Uh, but also the stuff that I was picking up this time that it is all also this like weird collection of folk wisdom, yes. you know, yeah. that, it, that it's like Passed an informal, like, and, and a lot of it is in the way that folk wisdom is just like the corniest cliched aphorisms and stuff that it, <laughs> even somebody like Don is like, I hate listening to this. This I like, as you are saying this, it is like, I am annoyed. I am irritated and annoyed by yes. it. And yet, and yet, and yet it works. Yeah. I, you know, I was thinking about the crocodile existence, which is like so, it's just so interesting. And yeah, the the addicted to AA thing, I think, comes in here where it's like, these guys are so old. They've been sober forever. Yeah. And yet they still need, like at this point, they've supplanted, like their community is in, yeah. uh, in AA because it's something that they ha- will have in common with anyone who comes in. Right. Versus like if you're out there in, in the world outside of it, you might not just have you might not be able to connect with people the same way because you know having having the thing in common where you've had like horrible blackouts and and lot you know losses which yeah by the way he always capitalizes the l in losses okay I, I wish there was a way for me to signify more of uh i think i get I, when he's doing like proper noun like i can hear references. it in your in, okay. inflection a little bit yeah uh which is also it's funny because that's how when i'm not trying to write formally i will do the same thing where i you know i capitalize like a German person, which is just that I capitalize any word that I want that I think is important in a sentence, <laughs> which isn't necessarily the German thing. That's just pro- that's just most nouns. But yeah. when I'm writing and I'm like, no, this word this word is important. You put a capital on it. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love Don. I yeah, I I don't know uh, what else what else to say here. Again, there's, there's not that too much new stuff here. I keep on waiting for one part of this to connect to another part, but it it really resists that. Yeah, it's all it's all kind of you know. It, it I, I will say this for at this. Hey, did we hit halfway? We Actually, probably did. I think we might have. Um, there is. I, I will promise you that there is a scene that links all these threads together. Yeah, kind of, and it's it's actually coming up soon. There's. I, I think I can say this, that there's kind of one theory of reading the book, which I think David Foster Wallace has confirmed, that it has, the the structure is annular. It's right, like, it's a ring. It's a ring. And it like, it's also kind of like an infinity sign. Like it, there's a, there's a moment that is like the, the, the kind of central moment, moment. That you could then read like it looping That everything back happens through. like before and after. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, if everything flows through a, a, a specific moment mm-hmm. uh, and then you can kind of read things as going backwards and forwards from there. Yeah, I believe so. 
and the, yeah, th- things will things will happen. <laughs> things will happen. Something something will eventually happen. Yeah. <laughs> Hang in there. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I mean, it's no, not no, like no. I'm not like uh, irritated with this or anything. It's just, um, you know, it's it's it's, and I yeah again as I was saying that I know that the tediousness is part of the point, but you know, like as we go back through these segments, the, the writing itself is fun and interesting to hear, but you know, it's like, okay, yes, I get, I get what's going on with Don. Yeah. Uh, I love him. But I did, I did like or hearing big, him smashing, smashing a table with his head. Yeah. I just like, it's <laughs> also the image, the kind of like interior monologue mm-hmm. thing that they've got going, which is obviously very wordy and over explainy. Mm-hmm. And then when you hear what he actually does, which yeah. is him just being like, I wish my head would explode <laughs> like <laughs> or like you know scrap oh the uh, the, the other, only th- other thing i wanted to call out about all these scenes is um it's very vulnerable to pray in front of other people yes and so it's funny that the the irony of um getting in a halfway house where you're bunking with four other guys or, or two other guys is that you have to do your your vulnerable praying in front, in of, front them. of even other though people. every everyone there is supposed to be kind of doing it it's still it's a little awkward yeah, I don't know. That might be a deal breaker for me. Really? I don't know if I don't know if I could. Uh, I I think I could get down with having to do the the daily prayer, but I I think like having to do it in front of other people, especially if I didn't really believe in it, mm. uh, I would find that very very difficult to yeah. do. I'm, I I would be very self conscious about something like that. Yeah, I think I would just have to mutter very quietly. I always felt I felt that when I was a kid too, and I was yeah. I was trying to pray. I'm like, how do I do this? Am I supposed to just like think it in my head? Because I'm certainly not going to say it out loud. Is there a time in mass for like silent prayer? There is. There is. There are intercessions, which is like they pray for things like you know peace. Generally, um, sometimes they will pray for more vo- vocations uh, to the church. They need more priests because I think they're running out because everyone's <laughs> having way too much fun smoking weed and having sex these days. Um, they will occasionally pray for things like that abortion should be illegal. Uh, and then they give you a sort of blank space. They give you time to think about what, whatever else you want to pray for. Okay. That's in Catholic Church. I believe it's called intercessions. Intercessions? Yeah. I don't think I've ever been through a straight mass. Yeah, I'll, I'll get I've your ass like, in there. I've done like a, a Christmas mass which i know is not not the, not the standard that's the you know and that's, like the, like that's the marvel mass. movie of mass is like everyone <laughs> goes and everyone feels like they have they have to yeah you got you got I, mean, go I knew that it wasn't a real thing because i was going to it honestly i feel like a reasonable replacement because here, here's the thing i am a little bit of a hard ass about the idea of going to catholic mass for only christmas and easter because mm-hmm. it's like you might as well just go to like a pageant instead like you yes. might as well go to like a, sing carols or go to see handle uh yeah. the, the messiah or whatever yeah, I, go to something like that like just do like a fun festive christmas thing where you think about peace on earth and goodwill toward men don't, don't clog up our <laughs> don't clog up our church. Just I'm kidding. Yeah, I'm not, you're gay, not, I'm not gatekeeping the Catholic Church. They do that enough themselves. <laughs> the thing is, is that you're not when you're going to ca- Christmas Mass, you're not thinking about God. You're thinking about Christmas. Yeah, I, all I'm re- excited. I know there's a big plate of cookies at home and a bunch of uh, we do Christmas Eve. We do what we call smorgasbord, mm-hmm. which is like a, which is basically just a bunch of appetizers for dinner. I oh, think that's a good uh, good pre-christmas yeah. a tradition we did it last year remember yes <laughs> that's what I, that's a tradition i'm i'm holding fast to it's fun to have a bunch of dips and, and yeah. <laughs> bites before uh, you eat your roast on thanksgiving or on christmas day as yeah. well as thanksgiving uh yeah i don't know 
God. I don't know how God, it got Gotta here. be magnificent and unknowable, not about presence and spiced cider and stuff like that. Yeah. It's, which there's, I mean, there's room for both, I guess, in a way. What do you think that was crazy? It's like Christmas. Jesus was born. The son of God. The son of God. What the hell? And he was born broke as fuck. They couldn't, they had nowhere to stay. They had to stay they, in the fucking barn. They couldn't barn. stay in the holiday inn. They were like, get out of here. It's full. <laughs> and then they, yeah, she, she gave birth in a barn. That sucks, man. You ever, you ever gave birth? Yeah, but getting giving birth in general would suck in the year zero. Yeah, I guess most people. I mean, that's that's a real question, right? Are most people basically giving birth in barns at yeah, this time? Yeah, that, that, this that, is that not is an outlying. Like, <laughs> You're not special, Mary. Yeah, how much better were the accommodations literally anywhere else? Yeah. Like, how much nicer was it actually inside the house? They were probably still sleeping on straw. Yeah. It was probably just wrapped in some like piece of linen or that's something. That's true. I would actually, because I know, I mean, this is where you get into... I'm like, none of this is like actually real, but <laughs> I'm like, what what does the typical house in uh, in Bethlehem look like at this time? Look, I know this is a, this is extremely sacrilegious, but this is one of the, uh, but a who cares? B this is it's always been one of my biggest like conceptual gripes with the Jesus story. Yeah, is like yes, he Let dies for our see uh, our sins, and yes, getting crucified seems like it especially sucks. Oh God! But again, everything at that like I I don't think that he had it especially bad as compared to like the many ways that you could get killed and like bat like all like the roman soldiers are the villains of that story imagine being a roman soldier in a battle where you get like oh, a, yeah, a like no. a visigoth's axe caves your skull yeah, no, li- life was brutal but i yeah. i will say i think crucifixion is, pr- is pretty it's, uh, yeah it's pretty it's, it's pretty, pretty nasty it's pretty goth and it's especially pretty metal. like you know uh, me being someone who i'm constantly just being like is everyone mad at me <laughs> and like imagine a crucifixion and looking around and being like yes everyone is <laughs> And all my all my girls are, you know, they're they're trying to come for me, but this sucks. You ever go? You see the Stations of the Cross? That shit is not fun. But it was life was life was not yeah. fun then. Life was brutal every yes. day. It was brutal out there. It was brutal out there. Yeah. All right. I feel like we're spinning our <laughs> wheels at this point. Uh, we're gonna wind down for today. Bye. We'll be back next weekend with a little more. Bye-bye. Bye bye.